Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Throughout my training and practice, Dr. David Cockrell has been one of my most important mentors who has supported me and guided me through legislative issues. He never leaves me off the hook, which forces me to step up and perform better. For this week's bonus episode, David and I discuss essential care, urgent and emergent situations that are practical for implementation during this time in COVID-19. In an effort to help support our state associations during this challenging time, iCode Education will contribute $50 to your state association for every iCode Clinical Update virtual conference course purchased between now and July 1st, 2020. This update contains nine hours of COPE-approved distance learning education, which should help you keep busy during these challenging times and, most importantly, help you springboard your clinical practice once we return to normal. Check out the iCode Clinical Update at eyecodeeducation.com or follow the show notes. I um I think it you know you and I were talking about this morning um, on our SGRC call about the idea of trying to provide some different clear examples of for doctors who are you know struggling with these public health reminders from the CDC and so I'd like to kind of start out by um, just reading the, the public health reminder from the CDC, and, and specifically it says, healthcare facilities and clinicians should prioritize urgent and emergent visits and procedures now and for the coming several weeks. The following actions can preserve staff, personal protective equipment, and patient care supplies, ensure staff and patient safety, and expand the availability hospital capacity during COVID-19 pandemic. And then of the four bullet points underneath, there are delay all elective ambulatory provider visits, reschedule elective and non-urgent admissions, delay inpatient and outpatient elective surgical and procedural cases, and postpone routine dental and eye care visits. And so with that, there's been, that has created a lot of confusion because people are trying to wrap their minds around what routine eye care is. And, um, and then also this idea of urgent and emergent. And now we're seeing further um, guidance that all essential care in certain locations um, everything but essential services uh, in certain locations need to be shut down. And so the question is, and, and what you and I were talking about was, well, what is essential? What is urgent and emergent? What is a, a good kind of metric that we can use to, to gauge as what types of services we should be providing during this time so patients don't wind up in an emergency room or urgent, urgent care unnecessarily? So, Chris, I'd, I'd like to just, I guess my first comment is that uh, one of the things that gets confused, I think, by many of our providers or many of our members is what really, who's really deemed an essential critical business or infrastructure workforce. And every, I've looked it up, and so far every governor that has put in place uh, some of these stay-at-home or shelter-at-home requirements refers to what's called the Homeland Security's Guidance on the Essential Critical Infrastructure Workforce. Are you familiar with that? I'm not, no. Uh, Please I'll keep going. You, I'll send you the link for it. And inside of this, uh, this security guidance, it lists uh, about 16 different businesses that they, the Homeland Security identifies as an essential critical infrastructure workforce. Among those are everything from communications to critical manufacturing. Think about the people making viruses right now, right? Emergency uh, services to financial services. Obviously, banks have to be open. Energy has to be open. The principle on the very top line is healthcare and public welfare. And inside of healthcare and public welfare, we're included along with allopathic and osteopathic physicians. So it makes it very clear that optometry is considered by the federal government 
an essential critical business, if you will, for infrastructure to be part of. So I've sent that out to our association to make sure our doctors realize that this is how the federal government views us and certainly how the CDC views us because they've also referred to the same, use the same language to specify it. So I think that, that, that remove, should remove for anybody any confusion about whether or not optometry as a healthcare participant um, uh, should be included. Yeah. So, uh, then, so, so then to make that, even put a finer point on it is when you see people across the country talking about, well, shut it down, stop seeing patients, close your office. Almost exclusively because of that, you should not be doing those things because we are so essential and critical to the health and welfare of, of the country. I think you're exactly right, man. That's what I've told every OD that's called or contacted our office. We're defined as that. And and I think to not step up and do our part would frankly be decreasing the essential care to our patients. And the last thing we should see a patient with an eye problem doing right now is going to an ER or frankly even an urgent care center where they're dealing with some of the first line of people going in with what they believe are possibly symptoms of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And so our offices should be open to to take care of any particular problem. Then we get down into the, this discussion of what's emergent care and what's urgent care. And, and as I looked at that, and I'll, I'll put my state board hat on for a moment, the state board's job is to protect the public. And so I look at that as what I want our licensees to do. I want them to protect the public. Uh, an essential part of that is providing care for the public. So then, then, then the discussion is, well, what's urgent and what's emergent? Well, I think that each of us as, as doctors would define emergent probably as exactly the same thing. Mm. Uh, but emergent, or rather urgent, I think maybe there's a little bit of room for, uh, for discernment or discussion. But quite frankly, an urgent problem might well be the gentleman I saw yesterday who is a truck driver with a minus four, minus three. And, and he have to, this particular case happens to work for Walmart, which is supplying America with mm. virtually every commodity that we get right now. He broke his glasses and couldn't drive. Uh, I view that as an urgent need, whether it's a contact lens loss, whether it's contact lens irritation. What happens to be if a patient's calling right now, they certainly view it as urgent. Our role is to be open to take care of those emergent patients. Someone gets poked in the eye or has symptoms of retinal detachment, as well as those urgent patients, which have a need. Maybe they're worried about losing their job with as many people being laid off. And the last thing we want to do is not be able to see. Yeah. So, um, go ahead. No. Uh, well, well, what is, what do you think then, you know, I, I saw one of the state boards, there's a bunch of, um, consternation, one of the state boards, uh, that mentioned that basically even up the ante for, for docs by saying, if we, if we find that you're providing care that isn't deemed to be urgent or emergent, uh, or not following in line with the CDC guidelines, there will be additional disciplinary action. And I, I wonder what your thoughts are on that for, as a state board member. But I'll tell you, from, from a practicing um, physician standpoint, my thought is, like, there's no reason to up the ante unless, unless there's a whole bunch of bad actors. And then why not just go after the bad actors instead of, instead of just making everybody even further on edge to be like, well, I'm not going to do this because I'm not going to get crossed with the state board. I think it's uh, chilling when a arm of the state government, and that's what the state board is, they have control over the licensee's ability to operate their businesses and offer practice. I think it's particularly chilling when an arm of the state agency steps inside and says, you cannot provide care. Uh, I, I don't think it should be done. 
And, you know, I don't know which state you're referring to and if it's a sport that, that's a, um, what we might call a super board, which is comprised of more than just optometrists and public lay members. Um, our state board specifically queried our public member to see if, if he agreed with our definition of urgent and emergent, and our public member did. So I think, first of all, they shouldn't do that. And I think that would be a situation where I would, if I was a licensee, use this information from Homeland Security, refer it to the state board and say, well, here's the box they have us in. Tell me why you don't want me to provide this care to the public. And I'd make the state board answer the question. Yeah. And I think, I think um, essentially what it was, was the state board was, was just adding to the warning of, of the CDC, which I think kind of unnecessarily upped the ante for that, for docs in that particular state and also uh, docs across the country to, um, to feel like they had to make a, a, a more gut reaction that wasn't necessarily as rational as it otherwise could have been. Um, so then moving forward, when you think about um, the impact that this can have on professions, uh, any, any thoughts that you have that, that, um, you know, that, that COVID will leave us with? Uh, yes, I, my thoughts would be that, you know, in this particular situation, many governors put in place, you know, first the federal government put in place a 15-day temporary halt, temporary halt to, to uh, movement throughout the country. And then state, state agencies, governors, have some of them have put in three-week, four-week, one's even put a five-week kind of shelter in place. You know, it, I don't think it takes a long, long time to change personal behavior to avail themselves of consumer consumer products, whether that be whether that be uh, something they can order online from some, from some online business, or whether that be an online service, and in other words, a telehealth service. You know, this particular COVID nineteen situation, at least it's initially is going to go on for many weeks. It's probably going to go on for seven, eight, nine, ten weeks, possibly even twelve weeks, and. If you look at that, three months is a long time to try to regress back to your previous behavior. I would think we would see an increase in uptake of people trying to provide, get their healthcare service online as much as they had. You know, we can now do telemedicine, which is a great thing. All of us as practicing professionals know that only goes so far. And so we'll wind up, I think, counseling the public, well, I can take care of that with telehealth, but I can't take care of this with telehealth. So I think it'll It'll increase the demand for telehealth. Uh, at the same time, it increases the complexity of how we actually operate our offices. Yeah, and I think you know I was talking to Harvey Hanlon this morning about this, and he, um, you know, he, the point that I was making with him was that, you know, the telehealth services that you and I are are delivering, and Harvey's delivering out of his uh, practice, basically using the specific resources we currently have, and triaging the types of care that we can do remotely which would, you know, common red eyes, lid lesions, um, you know, try to triage different symptomatic things just to decide whether or not it is worth the risk of a patient coming into a physical practice for, for th- something that could kind of keep them out. But um, the real challenge is that right now, there is this significant disadvantage that physical locations have over some of the dubious actors uh, that are trying to sell a product like a contact lens online in order to just renew prescriptions. And so there's this confusion, I think, among the public and also among optometrists and of, of this idea of the difference between a real telehealth encounter and then a telehealth encounter that 
where the only goal is to sell somebody, somebody something. And so one, what are your thoughts about that? And two, how do we get around that as a profession to, because right now we are at a significant disadvantage. I think it will be very challenging, Chris, as I mentioned, I think this is probably going to be a three month, uh, three month issue, uh, at least in the short run. And then this coronavirus, like the other coronaviruses, is more than likely going to be proven to be cyclical in nature or seasonal in nature. So it will go on and on. I, I think the disadvantage we have, you've perfectly described, I think what we can do as a professional and certainly as individual practices is make that critical outreach to not just our current patients, but to the communities where we live at to discuss in open, uh, open forums the advantages of telehealth and the many disadvantages of telehealth. And that's going to be an ongoing education process. You know, as um, our population changes over time, we become more and more used to being able to access a lot of things online. And, and it'll be a long, long time before we can deliver a true examination like you, you deliver in your office. Even something, and I'll use this word not, 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 uh, I'll use the word very carefully, even something as simple as a comprehensive examination, let alone follow up for glaucoma or some other healthcare disease where it requires a lot of technical skill and a lot of technical equipment that can't be done through a telehealth format. So I think the advantage we have is the opportunity to educate one-on-one and talk about telehealth in our office with our patients when they're sitting there in the chair. Uh, sometimes we can provide that. By the way, if you've got a problem, you can contact us. We'll tell you right up front if we can do it through telehealth or if you need to come into the office. Because this isn't going to go away. This will create a true, true change in how our practices operate. Yeah. And those practices that successfully meld the two will do fine. Those practices that want to believe it'll go away, I, I think they're going to have a struggle over the next several years. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think um, as I keep coming back to, I think we're going to have a situation where the, this will probably make the people that survive it you know, in terms of their practices, it's going to make them stronger, better practices. And, um, and then we're going to, we're going to see potentially that people just decide not to reopen or not to weather the storm because it's, it's too challenging and the landscape has changed too much. I think you're right. I think, you know, another struggle we'll see as it takes uh, longer uh, for, to get practices back to full capacity. um, If our, if our docs don't avail themselves the opportunity to educate their patients right now, while this is going on, it will increase that time, which is going to decrease the opportunity for young docs to have a place to go into practice. I'm, yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, so, so give me maybe one or two things that you've done to make your, your, your patients, your existing patients and potential patients aware that, that you do offer some of these types of services right now. You know, one of the things we've done is on our website uh, and in our Facebook page, we have um, put information on there for our patients who access us through those mediums to see that we do provide telehealth services and the mechanism by which to do it. Uh, Certainly, our patients that are in the office currently, we're telling them about that right now in person, our staff is. And, you know, we will, in our routine contact to patients as time goes on, talk about telehealth visits and how they're going to be done. Uh, you know, I don't really want to just be a telehealth practice, so we don't. We certainly want to be very careful in how we present it to our patients. That is not the that is not the ultimate answer, but we want them to know its components. So right now, we're doing it through through Instagram, through Facebook, and through our, our webpage. Yeah, it's great. 
So David, I, um, I wanted to just have you on quickly to talk about those uh, issues that you and I had discussed. And, and like I've said on the podcast many times before, um, I'm really grateful for your mentorship and guidance over the years. And I'm, I was hoping that by the time I'd have you on this podcast, we'd be able to talk about some other, other things that, um, you know, that big picture things in terms of the profession. And, and I hope to do that at some point in the future. But, um, but for now, we, we are in strange times and thus strange times um, make us ponder things that we normally wouldn't ponder. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to, particip- to participate in this podcast, Chris. I think it's critical for all of our docs to hear what you have to say on this subject. If you found this episode valuable and you're in need of online continuing education and you'd like to support your state association, check out the iCode clinical update at eyecodeeducation.com or follow the show notes. Additionally, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, and share it with your friends. At iCode Media, we believe in advancing the optometric profession by diving deep into eye care topics and providing actionable steps for our listeners and subscribers. Have a great week. Talk to you soon.